We're starting a new series today, uh, a series we are calling Kingdom and Culture. It's going to take us through most of the fall. We'll have a few breaks here and there uh, as we're working through it. And uh, this is a, a series where we are working with our other sites uh, as well in this kind of going step by step throughout certain weeks. And there will be some weeks where we're kind of doing one, uh, one topic one week and another site will do that topic an, a different week. Anyway, we're doing this all together. And this, this series is really trying to get to the heart of the fact that we are citizens of heaven as followers of Christ, living as residents and citizens of Canada or of the, of the culture that we are a part of. And how does that work? I'm going to start by defining some terms. Our series is called Kingdom and Culture, so we're going to look at the words kingdom and culture. And I have some very like boiled down, pointed definitions that we're going to go by today. First is the definition of kingdom Essentially, when we boil it all down, it's where God is present and where life is lived his way. When we pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for God to come and be present and for life to be lived under his rule, his way, in his kingdom. The definition of culture that we're kind of working on is essentially the way we do things here. So we have this this culture that we are a part of, this society as a whole that we're all steeped in, which the way we do things here is defined by our culture. The, The way we talk, the languages that we predominantly speak, the way we dress, the the things we value, the kind of entertainment that we're into, the the ways we define success, the 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 people we look up to and the kind of behaviors we look down on are all formed by the culture around us. It's the way we do things here is the culture that we're in. The problem is, is there is often a clash between cultures. If you have ever spoken to an 80-year-old and a 17-year-old in the same day, Right? You see just there a clash of cultures generationally where like a 17 year old is like, Grandpa, you can't say those things anymore. <laughs> or, you know, the, the 80 year old would, would say, in my generation, like we, we did things this way or we were expected to have this kind of work ethic or those kind of things. We, we have these, these discrepancies, these differences culturally, even generationally. And maybe if you've moved to PEI or Canada from some from somewhere else and you're kind of adapting to the culture and you're noticing things that are different than the culture you grew up or lived in, we see the difference. We see, we see the, the water we swim in in a way that many of us don't otherwise. In the same way, there are going to be times when the life and way that we are called to live as citizens of heaven, as followers of Christ living in his kingdom, are going to have to confront and be contrasted with the things that are going on in our culture, the way that things are done here. It is, in some ways, a clash of cultures. And so we, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, are called to speak the hope and life of Jesus into the culture around us. 
to, to invite them into the life-giving way of Jesus. I think we're also called to speak prophetically towards culture and, and, and to expose some of the inconsistencies and harm in the way we do things here. I think we're also called as citizens of the kingdom of heaven to seek to redeem areas of our culture that in the language of Jesus, we could say the kingdom of God is near. Things in the culture around us where we say, that, that smells kind of like the kingdom of heaven. And there are areas, it's not always conflict. It's not always the we're right and they're wrong. There's, sometimes it's, wow, that is close. That's close to the kingdom of God and, and we need to redeem and celebrate those things. So throughout the fall, we're going to have some very interesting conversations uh, around kingdom and culture. We're going to be looking at some sensitive topics. We're going to be looking at things like sexuality and gender, the value of women, identity. We're going to be talking about the value of life. We're going to be talking about cancel culture. We're going to be talking about human goodness. All of these things that, I mean, they're heavy topics. And we're never going to be able to fully do justice to those topics in 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. 35, if I'm a little long-winded. And so part of our plan with this series is to have what we're calling a, a pastor's forum Q&A time. And if you were here during our Life and Doctrine series, after each service, we did a Q&A time where during the sermon or afterwards, you could text in a question to the number on the screen and, and ask a question anonymously, and, and I would answer it. The way we're going to handle it in this series is we're actually going to benefit from uh, a forum, a Q&A forum, where it's not just me answering the questions. But on November 1st at the Montague site, we're going to have myself, Pastor Gordon, and Pastor Phil together kind of fielding your questions. And so if you have questions from what we're talking about today or over the coming weeks in this series, you can text them to the number on the screen and we'll compile them so that on November 1st, when we have our pastor's Q&A forum, that's going to be on a Monday night, you can come out and, and hear your question be answered, and, uh, and it'll be a, a time to dig in a bit deeper uh, to some of these things that we're not able to uh, otherwise. If you're uncomfortable texting, slip me a piece of paper after the service or something if there's a question that you want answered during that forum. As well, I'm thankful that we have our small groups starting up. And, and in our small groups, we're going to have a chance to dig into the scripture passages a bit more that we're going to be looking at and to, to work through them together. And so I encourage you to, to get involved in a small group where we can expand the conversation more than just hearing me talk for 30 minutes on Sunday morning. All right. Text questions, if you have them, I won't judge you if I see you whipping your phone out in church. That's fine. This morning, we are going to start off the series with what I think is a, an important conversation for us to have, and that is on the foundational issue of identity. There are ways where our culture defines identity versus how the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus invites us into understanding identity. Growing up, we are all really kind of asking the foundational question of, of who am I? 
right? When, when we're kids and, and growing up in, in our families, a lot of us, especially on PEI, it's like the phrase, who's your father, right? Our identity very much is ascribed to us based on who your parents are or what family you're part of, where on the island you grew up, or whether you're from away. And, and they, the, you are given this identity and assumptions made about who you are based on the family you grew up in. Maybe when we're teenagers and we get into school, all of a sudden we're, we're trying not to identify so much with our family of origin, but we, we find groups of people or friends that, that we want to fit in with as a way of shaping and, and creating our identity. So for me in school, it was this weird like, okay, I want to kind of fit in with the music kids and you know, dress like they do, talk like they do, listen to the bands that they listen to, even if I don't really like the music, because I want to be part of this group. I want my identity to be shaped by, oh, these are the the hipster music kids. After school, I I think that many of us, as we kind of get out in the world and the workforce and those kind of things, we're kind of searching. We're trying to find either the new group that we're part of or, or, or we get into a job and, and all of a sudden our job becomes our identity definer. That I am what I do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working an office job and I feel really smart because I use computers all the time and I'm an architect or whatever or we create our identity and I'm incredibly hardworking, I'm in manufacturing and, and do all this hard work. And that is what I define myself as someone who works hard or works smart. My job is what I do. We even see this in how we talk to people. One of the first questions if you're meeting someone is, what do you do for a living? And as we ask that question, whether we acknowledge it or not, we're kind of sizing people up of of what is it that you do. We will ascribe them an identity or a value based on their answer to that question. We create identities around our ethnicity, around our gender, around our sexuality, around our family, around the groups we want to fit in with, even around the religious groups that we feel most comfortable around, around our political parties or political leanings, where we stand on different issues. The problem is, is none of these things are truly our identity. They are things that might be true about us, or true about us during a certain period of our life. Like, it is true that I am a 28-year-old white male. Like th- Those are facts that are true about me that I might fill out on a government form. But it is not my identity. And those things can't bear the weight of Tyler's identity. Those are just facts. Many of us want our identity to be something more personal and deep than us. We push off the idea that someone can uh, give us an identity based on our family or our job or, or the groups that we're involved with. And so we want to create an identity for our own, that my identity is found deep within me. And sometimes when we are creating our own identity, it, it, it may not line up totally with reality. Like, have you ever filled out one of those um, like online personality tests And you know how you would honestly answer a certain question, but you want to answer the question in the way where you get the outcome you want from the personality quiz. You ever done that? I've done that. 
I wanted to be the, like, the intellectual, so I'm going to answer this question how I think an intellectual would, rather than who Tyler actually is. When we start creating an identity for ourselves that comes from within, the, the problem is, is, is we're trying to make it personal, but sometimes it's, it's not in step with reality and who we really are. But we get defensive about it because we say, you can't tell me who I am. You, you can't tell me my identity. We become determined that we try to make up these identities for ourselves, whether it's, I, I want to be seen as the outsider who doesn't fit in with any group. Or, or I just want to be the opposite of what my parents told me to be. I want to be non-conforming to the boundaries and categories around. And we see some of the most extreme cases of this where I read a news article the other day about a, a British teenager who began identifying as Korean and, and got plastic surgery to, to look as if he was Korean and, and began saying publicly as a social media influencer that, that truly, deep down, I'm a Korean person and this is how I identify. And that, that's an extreme example. We, we have other examples in, in culture where there was a, a, a famous college professor out west who identified as a black woman, even though she has no African heritage, and, and took on that identity and, and was quite, advo- uh, quite vocal as an advocate for, for black rights. But she, she was kind of found out, so to speak, and the, the African-American community was was outraged that someone would identify as black who's not truly that. When we try to create our own identities, sometimes we're tempted to make things not quite line up with reality. We'll get into that in coming weeks. So we have parts of our culture that are trying to ascribe us an identity from the outside. You are who your parents were. You are what you do. You are where you come from. And we have parts of our culture that is calling us to you define yourself. Who you are is truly from within, and no one can tell you who you are. The problem is, is none of these things can hold the weight of our true identity. They might be facts that are true about us. They might be things that are, are personal to us, but may not actually line up with reality. What we need is actually an identity that can bear the weight of the ups and downs of life. The, the groups that we'll be part of and we'll move out of, the, the breakdown of relationships, the, the difficulty and messiness of life, we need something that can actually bear the weight of our identity. Chris and I were, were hanging the, the cabinet yesterday out there in the lobby, and, and I've been kind of thinking in carpenter uh, analogies. But sometimes we, we have all these kind of identities, this, you know, I'm... Um, um, white, I'm, you know, religious, I'm a male, like all of these things that are true about me. And it's almost like when you're, you're drilling a, a board into the gyprock. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm drilling this in, this is, this is supposed to bear the weight of my identity. But you're just kind of like drilling it into the gyprock. And as many of the screws as you do, and you try to, you try to drill them into the, the drywall, it's just not going to hold the full weight. We need something, some kind of identity that is actually screwing right into the stud that can bear the weight of what it means for us to be a human being. Not the cultural identities that you're so-and-so's kid. Because then you're always in the shadow 
of the family you grew up in, for good or for bad. And the minute that you have different ideas from your family or someone in your family does something that, that sullies the family name, all of a sudden your identity is in question. Or the group that you're a part of. The minute I, I start thinking differently and, or maybe don't identify as part of that group anymore, all of a sudden I'm grasping for what my identity is and who I truly am. If our identity is in our job, then the minute you retire, you have no idea who I am as a human being because I've always been my career. There's conflict when we identify with all these things. Because if I identify primarily as you know, the, the white-collar business class, then I'm going to have conflict with you know, maybe the, the, the blue-collar workers that I'm overseeing, and, and all of a sudden we're not equals as human beings. There's power dynamics. Or, or all of a sudden, if I place my identity as a liberal and, and I'm getting together with people who are conservative, I take everything very personally because my identity is in my politics. There's conflict and discord. On the other hand, I make my personality something that I come up with. And I start living in, in a world that is not reality because if we're honest, our hearts are sinful and broken and fallen. And we can't actually trust all the desires and motivations of what's going on in there. We need an identity that can bear the weight of what it means to be human. An identity that isn't something that we're coming up with from ourselves. Something that is ascribed to us from outside of us. But not by our circles. Not by my own passions and desires and what I want people to see me to be. But an identity, an identity from our Creator. The way that the kingdom of God speaks of human identity is this. This is, this is kind of my, my main point for this morning. Our identity is rooted in who God made us to be and in who God is making us to be in Jesus. Our identity is rooted in who God made us to be and who he is making us to be in Jesus. Let's start with the first half of that. We're going to turn to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. This famous passage where we read in the creation story, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then poetically in poetic wording, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. There is a uniqueness to being a human being that is given to us by our creator because we are created in the image of God. Now, there's been debate for centuries of what does that actually mean? And I think when we look in the passage, we see being created in God's image, we are called to represent God in his creation in how we care for God's creation. 
In fact, it is a role where we are meant to, in a sense, rule alongside and under God's rule over his creation with him. There's a uniqueness to humanity. There's a value given to humanity because of that. There is, there is a, a worth to humans because of this. Every human being on the face of the earth, regardless of the fact that we have been corrupted by sin, regardless of the fact that we're fallen and need of, in need of God's redemption, regardless of the fact that, that we have gone our own way, we're all created in God's image. We all have a dignity and value and purpose given to us by the Creator from the first of creating humanity. Our identity is in who God made us to be. But also our identity is in who God is making us to be in Jesus. I want us to turn to Galatians 3. This is in verses 26 through 28. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we place our faith in Christ, when we turn from our old selves and see him as our king, we're adopted into his family. We are made children of God. All of humanity is made in God's image, but those who trust Christ are children of God, part of his family, in the words of Paul here. And what I love about this passage is he, he kind of maps out all these different identities, so to speak. All these facts that are true about people, Jew and Gentile, racial differences, male or female, gender differences, slave or free, job and power dynamics. All these things are true about all of these people. But what binds them together and what is the true foundation of their identity is that they're one in Christ Jesus. That Jesus is, and, and him making them part of his family, is the, the deepest and truest identity even though there's all these different reality markers about all these different people. That doesn't mean that we diminish the uniqueness of who each of us are. That doesn't mean we say, oh, you know, maleness and femaleness doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't mean that we say, well, you need to stop pretending like you're Jewish or you're Gentile, and that we all need to pretend like we're, we're all the same background and culture. No. We embrace the uniqueness of, of who each of us are, but our identity is found in the fact that we are adopted into Christ's family. So how does this play out? If our identity is in who God has made us to be and in who he is making us to be in Jesus, how does that play out? How do I go about my life knowing this as my identity? If I know who I am, and I would argue whose I am, I don't need to keep searching for acceptance. 
I think a major part of our search for identity is finding where do I fit? Who accepts me? Who wants me to be around? We know deep down in our identity in Christ that we've been adopted into Christ's family. Regardless of whether our family is a mess or the groups that we've been a part of have have hurt us, our identity as part of Christ's family will not let us down. We are accepted. We are wanted. Christ went to the cross because he wanted us to be part of that family. We don't need to keep searching for acceptance. If I know who I am and whose I am, when life takes a rough turn, when I lose my job, when there's discord in my family, my, my life and my identity isn't capsized. Because there is an unchangingness to the fact that I'm created in God's image and have value and dignity and that I'm part of Christ's family. If your family falls apart, your identity is not shaken because you are Christ's. If you lose your job or you retire, Your identity is not shaken. Your life isn't flipped upside down because your identity is in Christ. If I know who I am and whose I am, when I'm not living in light of that reality, I can have people around me who remind me of what is true and what my identity is. I don't know about you, but for me, if I get isolated too long, my mind spirals, and I can get into places where my identity and value gets clung onto all these other kind of things rather than what is important. This is where we need each other, church. This is where we need one another to remind each other that, no, your identity isn't in how many people show up on a Sunday. Your identity isn't in how smoothly things run in church, or how well-behaved your kids are. Your identity is in Christ. I need to hear that from you, and we need to hear that from one another, especially in the moments when we are tempted not to believe it. If I know who I am and whose I am, it means that I recognize that every human being I come in contact with is made in God's image. And so there should be an acknowledgement from Christians, unlike any other group, that I can see the humanity and dignity in my neighbor or the stranger or my enemy because I have this underlying knowledge that they are created in the image of God. Regardless of any outward expression of their identity, regardless of how deeply I might disagree with them on a fundamental level about whatever issue. They are a human with dignity who I can accept as valuable and and worthwhile because they are created in God's image. This is going to be important for us moving forward, especially in this series, because we are going to get into areas where we do see deep disagreement and, and, and a very stark difference in values. But we can acknowledge the dignity and value in those who hold very different 
opinions, and perspectives than that of the kingdom of God. Finally, if I know who and whose I am, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear because even if I breathe out my final breath this afternoon, I don't have to worry about whether I came from the right stock or whether my job performance was good enough or whether anyone liked me. I can have peace in knowing that I'm his, that he is mine, and that there is hope because I am brought into Christ's family. Do you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are a much firmer foundation than, than we can create for ourselves or than others can create for us. Would you help us to be rooted in that? Help us to, to see others in that way. That we might have the security of knowing that our life is on a firm foundation because of who you say we are. In your name we pray. Amen.